This podcast is brought to you by Scribe, a financial content agency. Just because your financial company and what you do is complex doesn't mean your content marketing has to be. Scribe produces blogs, articles, website and product copy, ebooks, pitch decks, and white papers for everyone from late stage fintech startups to the world's biggest banks and financial brands. Visit us at the Scribe Online. That's www.thescri.be. This is Stream It or Leave It. I like it a lot. Looking for something to watch? You have my undivided attention. We break down the best of streaming TV. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So you can stop scrolling and press play. We talk, we hook up, I smoke them up and watch TV. It's great. Tune in each week for our take. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. And now, action. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. And don't call me Shirley. All right. What up? What up? I'm your host with the most, Shindy Chen, a.k.a. Lil Shin Shin, a.k.a. Shin Diddy, a.k.a. MC Boba T in the house. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Whoa. And I have... <laughs> <laughs> in my cypher with me, Jeff. Yo, yo. It's Double JK Tickle, a.k.a. <laughs> Ice milk, <laughs> aka <laughs> MC Jeffy Hip Hitman. Oh my god! I can't read with these glasses on. <laughs> Tell oh my ya. god! And last but not least, my man Matt. Well, according to the internet, I am Static Master, which is surprising apt giving. <laughs> Given my body ailments, <laughs> but I prefer the the second quiz told me I could be Matomus X. Oh, sorry, Matomus S. Nice, nice. I'll go with that. All right. Well, if that gave you any indication of this week's show, we are not talking about the Wu Tang Clan documentary this week. We are actually talking about Dave. According to IMDb, yes, Dave is a neurotic mid twenties suburbanite who is convinced he's going to be one of the greatest rappers of all time. And now he's just got to prove it to everyone else. Dave is currently on Hulu, both seasons. There's just two seasons. And Matt, this was your pick. So what brought you to Dave? Uh, Well, first of all, what a terrible name for SEO. (laughs) (laughs) Only second to Netflix's new series called You. Try Googling that. (laughs) Wait, I like you. Okay, I'll hold my comments. I like you too. (laughs) I like you both. I love you all, but try Googling about you and see how much luck you have with that SEO. Anyway, yeah, so Dave, been hearing good things about it for a while, but for some reason it wasn't getting through. I guess it just looked kind of goofy. This is FX on Hulu. Some of that stuff is great. Some of that stuff didn't really hit home with me. Like, I watched Rami, and that didn't really work for me. So I just put it aside, and I just thought, you know, Atlanta had already done the quirky rapper thing so well. The white rapper thing seemed like a gimmick. But finally, I watched it. The first couple of apps confirmed that it was just gimmicky, but I'm glad I persevered because, you know, as I think you both realized, halfway through the first season, there is that one episode where it takes that leap from puerile to sophisticated and ambitious while still being puerile. A little dicky talks the talk and but the show, you know, definitely walks the walk, I think. Mm. Yeah, I I actually didn't know anything about this show. I had not seen 
really any promos about it. Didn't know the dude. Didn't know he was a real life rapper. Jeff, what were your first impressions? Yeah, I would not have watched this on my own. I wouldn't have clicked on the guy popping out of his underwear picture or, you know, really watched the trailer. So I would kind of was like, you know, when I saw the the ad or the, or the placard, I was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. But since Matt liked it, I was like, <laughs> I got to check it out. Wow, Static Masters got some rep. <laughs> yep. He was repping some street cred. I was intrigued. And I will say, I, I'm with you, Matt. Like the first two episodes, the first episode was like, uh, it was a little off-putting mm-hmm. because I, I felt like, wait a second, I've seen this before. It reminded me very much of like a Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of thing, but like the bad part of it where where Larry David is is like whingy and whiny and moany all the time, except it's, it's you know, a younger version of Larry David's. But then by the second and third episode, yeah, things got better and then it ended up like taking a turn for the much better. What are the other shows that, that reminded you of Dave as you began watching it? Well, I mean, it's, I think it's important to say there as well from the outset that, you know, well, some, one of the reasons why it begins so badly is that it really leans into the little dicky and where the name comes from. And you mm-hmm. think, okay, this is going to be a show about this guy's penis. And uh, <laughs> and that has a very short, uh, short life. <laughs> no, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> and then, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later in more depth. And then and we get into the themes of it and all of that. But that's kind of, I think that's initially what put most people off. But uh, as far as what this reminds me of, I mean, I think Curb, mm-hmm. Curb Enthusiasm, as you mentioned, and is definitely in the DNA, as is Atlanta. Uh, actually, the co-creator of this show is Jeff Schaefer, who wrote for Seinfeld and for Curb Enthusiasm. And in fact, I was just watching an interview with Jeff Schaefer, and he was talking about how they you know, Dave Bird, the actor from, you know, the lead actor from Dave and Jeff had meetings at his office, which is next to Larry David's office. And Larry David used to pop in every now and then for a chat. Fascinating. And you can imagine him saying this. He'd say, you're not LD, I'm LD. You know, that's uh, which referring obviously to Little Dicky and his logo, which says LD. So yeah, so Curb and Atlanta definitely there. I don't think this show would have existed without Atlanta. I think Atlanta opened a lot of doors to more kind of esoteric storytelling and gave Hulu some cred to kind of uh, bet into shows like this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like Curb with something to say, Atlanta, but less surreal. Hmm. Yeah, those are good points. I agree. Which is not an original take. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're introduced to Dave in the very first episode. And when he began talking, and it's like very spitfire in those first introductory scenes, just the way he was, it reminded me of that very Woody Allen anxiety. You see this rambling the way Woody Allen is. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be like watching this dude for 10 episodes. I don't know if I could do it. Did you get that impression, Jeff? Or did you just kind of let it take its course and stick with it and see how it his like Woody Allen, the self-confidence issues that are kind of come out throughout the show, you know, they're situational. So there's like a, a tie there. You know, Woody Allen is like projects this lover, you know, this sort of suave lover. And he's always getting the girl that he wants in the movies. But then, you know, his life apart from that's kind of a shambles. And then he even shambles the love life, too. So, yeah, I saw some some connections there as well. It reminded me also, and I didn't realize that it did, but 
until I read an interview with Dave Bird about when he was creating the show, he kind of wanted to, so to speak, a mashup of Atlanta, Curb, Your Enthusiasm, Entourage, and Girls from HBO, which I Aww. kind of recognize now looking back, you can sort of see this mm-hmm. Horvathy vibe going on. Honesty. I never, never watched Over Girls. Openness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I, have you guys seen Girls? Oh yeah. Yeah. You never watched yeah. Girls? Nah. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was one I just couldn't get into. I know. I know I'm like the exception, but that was one where I Maybe it's it's the same thing where it was like I watched the first episode and when she started talking, I was like, nah, can't listen to this. <laughs> it's like that kind of like high high pitched, like a whingy kind of thing. I can't can't get down with that. I don't know. Maybe I'll stick with it like I did with Dave. But that's interesting. Yeah, without you even mentioning that, Jeff, I thought of those same kind of themes. I was like, oh, this is very like entourage, but like a woke entourage mixed with Atlanta. And Curb. So th- it's funny that you nailed that because, well, not girls because I haven't seen girls. But <laughs> thinking back, it is like more of a woke entourage because I feel like today entourage could never work. Not in today's culture. You mm. know, there were a lot of like objectification of women in that show. But there were some of the similar elements of entourage, like the cameos and the yep. you know, that whole culture with rap culture and celebrity culture and all that stuff. So... I mean, there's definitely a wonderful kind of and very uh, rewarding kind of progressive element to Dave. I'm sure there's detractors as well, but, uh, you know, there's there's definitely, a, a, I guess, a wokeness to it without the, in my view, without the negative connotations of that. But yeah, I think Dave's kind of shtick of his, you know, self-doubt and mixed with arrogance and the over-explanation and his kind of cute lovability that would run short that would get old very quickly it's it's a great thing that the show has got all this hidden depth because you couldn't just run on that true true you're right i wasn't expecting it to be as as sophisticated and self-aware as it was for sure me neither and when i say woke i meant it in like uh you know how there's like obviously the woke mob and the cancel culture enthusiasts and all that but I meant like the good side of it, like it was a good balance. And I think it's because of the writing, like a very diverse set of writers on this show Mm. yeah, and also directors. And uh, so I think that was what helped balance all of this out. And also, of course, the very diverse cast. So on the note of casts, who even is Dave? You know, I didn't know who he was, didn't know who he was as a rapper he says this is like semi-autobiographical, but even today after the show, I don't know if he's very mainstream still. So. Uh, maybe here the kids will turn turn us off, but uh, I am no, I'm not here because of my rap uh, know-how, uh, but I wasn't aware of it. In fact, I watched a few episodes and it was only after the show got good that I did my usual kind of research into the background and who's behind this that I realized, oh, this is the real life rapper. And then it kind of, then the meta aspect of it kind of made it made it interesting. In, in reality, it's not you know it's not obviously it's semi autobiographical, but in reality, he always wanted Little Dicky to be a calling card to to then be able to get his own show. Whereas on the show, he's simply someone who's trying to be a rapper. So that you know it emulates the beginning of his the first stage of his career plan is what the show is based on. So yeah, so I wasn't aware of that. And yeah, and 
and I, I like the rapping, but I haven't gone back to listen to the music since the show, you know, since I've watched the show. So I guess that, I don't know what that says about me or, or his rapping, <laughs> but I have listened to Freaky Friday and that was pretty funny. That was a pretty great video. But other than that, I haven't listened to any of his music. Have you guys found yourselves listening to his music? Uh, I liked it when I was watching it during the show. We'll put it like that. So, you know, I, I, I liked it when he was rapping during the show. And I also looked him up on Spotify just to learn more about him and to get a sense of like his actual body of work. I love hip hop music, but I didn't know him. I mean, he's certainly well connected in the industry just based on who he got to appear in the show. But I think it kind of goes to show how good of an actor he is, I guess, for me, because... Yeah, exactly. I watch this and I'm thinking, this is an actor trying to be a rapper and doing a good job, when in fact, this was a rapper trying to be an actor playing a rapper. So (laughs) anyway. I think he's good at both. Yeah, for sure. And as far as the rapping goes, you know, I'm not by any means a rap connoisseur, but, you know, he seemed like the execution of the rap seemed like really good and really technical and sort of what you would expect out of, you know, that genre of music. But at the same time, I was reading this piece on Defector, which I'm going to put a link to. And in the comment section, one of the one of the commenters said that he doesn't I'll quote, he categorically does not see himself as a legitimate rapper. (laughs) So he says he's a small man in a big world that he knows will never fully accept him. And most of the cameos who appear on the show support that idea that Bird has about himself, which builds into the satire part. He says the show, which I thought was really good, conveys a lesson about trying to get validation through any means, especially if you're trying to appropriate a culture that is not yours. Mic drop. (laughs) Damn. Well, I mean, I think now's a good time then because we can just dive deep into the show. So this is our official spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched Dave, then now's your chance to stop listening to us and go watch both seasons. It's a two seasons of 10 episodes each and come back and listen to our deep dive. So with that, there's several instances throughout the series where he is accused of being narcissistic. He obviously acknowledges the fact that he's very selfish. And there's also these themes throughout the show where it's like this constant issue of he's self-absorbed. Is he giving people in his circle enough credit? That kind of thing. So as the main character, is he likable? Is he a selfish narcissist? And does that even matter? Yeah, I mean, he definitely can be lovable, but ultimately I don't think he's likable. It's that level of arrogance and self-involvement that it takes to succeed in the industry. This extra layer of neurosis, of hubris, of uh, arrogance gives the character some interesting depth. And it's just that kind of makes him stand out, I think, as a character. We usually follow the likable guy trying to make it. He's like our cipher in the story, but he's anti-hero, which makes him, I think, more enigmatic and interesting for it. Mm. Kind of a thing with artists, right? It's like very yay. Like you have to have a certain level of ego or arrogance and just not bow down to your haters or whatever people are going to say about you. You have to believe in yourself and your music if you're going to, you know, that's part of ambition. And the show in general is very apologetic thematically. There's a lot of things that are happening where the show itself is bringing these 
issues up. And Dave is sort of playing around with those issues and he doesn't mind being the fall guy for those things. So I think that's a very brave move. And I think there would have had to have been a lot of explanation to, you know, other famous participants in the show, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Doja Cat and the Breakfast Club crew. All those guys would not have participated in this project, I think, otherwise, if he was actually, you know, a racist and a misogynist and all of these other... uh, And a a narcissist. narcissist and and Yeah. yeah. Huh. I almost forgot about some of those people who made cameos. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, there are episodes where he's actually genuinely very unlikable and he's, yes. he kind of seems distanced. There are episodes where he becomes so far removed that you see it through the secondary characters and that gives more depth to the secondary characters. It also allows to explore all these other issues which you don't normally explore, issues of male insecurity and white privilege and it allows us to get under the skin in a very critical way, which is, like like Jeff says, quite brave and you don't see that often. Mm-mm. That's true. I mean, I think that's a testament to how well the show is directed because I agree. It's like you really don't like him in some episodes and it, it is a great <laughs> like gateway to how everybody in his circle, how supportive and empathetic and wonderful they are. They have their whole lives going on. It's not always about Dave. And he takes this whole two seasons to convince himself of that and then trying to convince other people of that. As Dave becomes distant, you know, Gator kind of becomes the the hobby of the show and it goes through a, a really interesting emotional transition and there's all sorts of things going on with that character. And in fact, you know, both finales kind of hinge around him in the end, which you could say makes him kind of the more important character. He, he comes to the foreground in a, in, in a very generous way, I guess. Yeah. Good example of that is at the kid's birthday party. Do you guys remember that episode? When Dave just mm-hmm. like yep. is being a total dick and then Gata comes and the kids love him and he just sort of like right. saves the day. And his character is written so well in that way. Dave clearly has reached a point in his career where he just doesn't care. So that kind of deals with the white privilege all, all the way as well. Dave keeps turning down opportunities because he can afford to, you know. And I think at one point Gator says, I don't have bar mitzvah money to live off of, you know. I can't turn down money from these people, you know. So, yeah, I think it's a really effective way to deal with those issues. And sometimes in a really direct way and sometimes in a quite subtle, indirect way. I think it does a good job in dealing with that. Yeah, the direct way is like almost when he finally shows Dave that he's basically been recording his own EP from his closet. And Dave all along has been totally ignorant to this fact, like how hard and how much he's been struggling. Meanwhile, Dave's got access to like a whole studio and producers and all of these people. So, I mean, speaking of characters, talked about Dave, but this show has so many wonderful other characters, major, minor. And they all really are the people who make Dave who he is, whether he knows it or not. So I'm curious, Matt, who else were some of your favorite characters in the show? I really enjoyed Benny Blanco, like Lil Dicky. I could not believe this was a real person. I was like, wow, this is a hilarious character. Who comes up with this shit? <laughs> I had no idea he's a real guy. Did you know Benny Blanco before the show? I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought he was a made-up character. I knew that Benny Blanco was a big-time producer slash DJ. And so to see him in the show, I was like, oh, Benny. And then this was the first time you get to know so much about Benny. So it was really interesting to see who he is. He's like a hoot. It's like you you really want to be Amazing. friends with... Amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> he's hilarious. Any others? I mean, some of them are undeveloped, like, uh, is it Emma, played by Christine Coe, sadly a little bit mm. undeveloped? Yeah, Gaeta is the sort of raw and authentic and amazing transformative personality in this thing. And, you know, the bipolar aspect is just more bravery. And I think that to bring that to the front for a little while was just something that I love to see in shows. She wasn't a character, but I don't know why this is like coming into my mind right now, but Doja Cat's appearance on the show. Very cool. Was very cool. But the aspect of that show that I really liked was this sort of tyranny of fame and how she, it's sort of presenting her in almost like this very posh, nice jail cell. You know what I mean? There's this trap of like this tyranny of time happening throughout that whole thing. And that's sort of one of the episodes that really stuck with me. Mm. Characters that stuck with me. That's interesting because I didn't know that she was like an actress, but she's playing herself. So it's easy. But yeah. that's, that's fascinating. Emma, I thought was a good supporting character. I, I felt like they gave her more airtime in season two, which is great because they go into some like really serious themes with her that are hinted at. And then they have the comic relief, which is like Dave's parents. How lovable are his parents? <laughs> They're just like so yeah. sweet. So many people don't have that that support system of like a mom and dad. And so it's kind of interesting that he's trying to be this big time rapper, rapping about whatever. and uh, <laughs> And he's got these like very normal parents. A fairly middle-class upbringing, just fascinating. I wouldn't say they're normal. I'd say they're exceedingly supportive, and that kind of feeds into the white privilege narrative. I mean, here's a guy, <laughs> here's a guy who comes from such a solid background that he, you know it's really amazing that he's out there doing this. And then you you, you overlap all that stuff with what Gator's going through. You know, even the Chuck episode where you got these two well-off white Jewish guys just making all these silly homoerotic jokes, and Gator's like. I could not get away with this stuff. You know, you guys can do that. I could never get away with this stuff. You know, <laughs> But yeah, the parents are lovable as hell. Oh, they were so cute. You've both mentioned the, the Chuck episode. Did you guys have any other favorite episodes? Jeff, take it away with the jail episode. <laughs> yeah, the jail. And I don't have much to say about it because it was just bonkers. I mean, the whole thing was was nuts and completely takes you by surprise. And yeah, I don't know what to say about that. The one that really was <laughs> my second, I don't know, second in tandem was season two, episode seven. And that one was called Ad Man, where Emma and Dave are reminiscing about their ad agency days. And the thing that stands out to me about that one is Dave's like complete lack of parody in the, in the presentation and the conclusion of the presentation, which they win. I felt like actual hurt, you know, for Emma not being even acknowledged in a, in a way, you know, sort of offhandedly acknowledged. Uh, and it, it was painful, you know, like, and so mm-hmm. I like that the show does not let you off the hook. That's what I like about this show. That's the best thing about it. My favorite episode was probably last episode of season one when they go to the wedding, Allie's sister's wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That one, it was just so funny. There are a lot of just burst out laughing moments in the whole show, especially in season one. I remember as soon as 
the sex doll fell out of the bathroom, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to keep watching this because I laughed so hard. It was so shocking. And then when they're hiking and he starts shitting his pants, oh my God, that was like another brilliant scene. I think that's one of like the best episodes. Brilliant. Like all the lines and just like the comedic elements of that show. And it emotionally hit home really well. Yes. Yeah. That one's really sweet. I mean, I feel like anybody who's been in a serious relationship, you know exactly what they're going through. You feel like the time when they are arguing, you feel like the tension, you know exactly what's happening you know she loves him, but he's such a dick because this whole time his mind is somewhere else. Like he's not present that whole weekend. He's supposed to be focused on her. And then the one with Doja Cat is also fascinating because, you know, you guys have the male perspective, but me from looking at that, I could totally feel her. I thought it was so cute. They're a little like flirting and banter the whole day. And then, you know, it was almost like Dave's neuroses took over. And like he did exactly what women are usually accused of doing, which is like creating situations in their head. And I love how they flipped the script because she's powerful. She's famous. She's the one who everybody adores. Meanwhile, he's like a nobody. And that like when he sends those like long, rambling, ridiculous, whiny texts, I would have done the same thing. You're just like, oh, forget it. I just love that. She was just like, fuck yeah. this guy. <laughs> no. Yeah, because he sends this whole big rambling thing mm-hmm. and she just goes, LOL. Yeah. <laughs> and so she just like, well, yeah. She's like, forget it. Super powerful. It kind of blends in, I guess, a bit of maybe sexism that's baked into the industry where this girl who needs to be nonstop on the go all day long, photo shoots. Instagram live and this and that. And it still finds the time to be thoughtful and funny and flirty yeah. with him on the text. And he's just sitting there, just wasting the day away, just waiting for her messages. And, you know, and, and he's sitting on a huge recording contract where she's having to do all this stuff and then put up with this shit. Well, at least she didn't. Yeah. It was really great exactly. in that sense. Like, who does he think he is? I mean, doesn't he know that she's got like a whole career and she's busy? And so I just found that not. so... <laughs> I just so, but so loved that. And I think it's, we've like talked about the fact that the show is, it's evolved into more than just a comedy. It's more than a show about a wannabe rapper with dick jokes. Season one, there are so many comedic elements and it almost relies heavily on it being a comedy. Season two is like a completely different arc. They definitely explore some deeper themes. According to Jeff Schaefer, I think, what was the quote? In season two, they explored the other perverse organ of Dave Bird, which is his mind. So I think that's uh, <laughs> that was a good encapsulation of where season two goes. But I, So season one was exploring his dick? Like, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Um, the, the primary organ? <laughs> Very interesting. That is definitely what's foremost on his mind. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the, the, the Gator episode is the one that shows you that this is going somewhere. And then, you know, it follows that up with all these other issues that we talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time the, the, his album Peanuts comes around, I was just giggling like a kid every time he said <laughs> that. And I, and I felt like he'd earned it because it wasn't just... It's that by this point, it's not just a show about dick jokes. So I could freely laugh at something which you know, made me take <laughs> Every time he says peanut, I was just laughing my head off, which is, it was, it was earned, I felt at that point. Men are so simple. 
One of the obvious themes that the show tackles is racism. I mean, I feel yeah. like we can't not talk about that because Dave has a very diverse group of friends. Yeah. His, his producers are both black. One of his best friends is Korean. Really liked how the episode with the ad agency is actually written by an Asian American woman. The themes were so clear and I've dealt with that stuff. He doesn't even speak up for her when he just gives her like design credit. Yeah. It's so demeaning. And also she has to deal with their manager just totally overlooking her. And there's like clearly racist artwork at the advertising yep. agency. And you can see that she's she's in pain. She has to deal with that shit. And this is the stuff that Asians deal with all the time. But, you know, we're supposed to be like the quiet, <laughs> head down focused, be diligent, be hardworking, don't speak up kind of thing. There's even that scene when somebody accuses her of being a bad driver. That is such a bad stereotype. I like how she defended herself. Did you guys happen to notice that when he loses the... Well, he just totally bombs at the at the rap battle, the freestyle battle. And she helped him. You know, she secured getting that beat, which she was really cheating. And he didn't even thank her. And so mm-hmm. he bombs because obviously they don't end up using the right beat. Do you notice that she kind of smirks, like smiles because at his failure? Yeah. 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 I thought that that was so interesting and powerful. By the end of the second season, like after that, episode, they're not really talking. Well, from like, I guess the white privilege or white male point of view, I don't know what you guys thought. I think, you know, it's, it's totally explicit throughout the show. I think allyship is really what these kinds of shows and the way that they're delivered can sort of bring open consciousness up for people so that they are better allies because we don't experience and have never experienced that level of abuse so or, or, or racism you know we have been of course bullied you know some of us some of us have been molested some of us have been physically abused you know some of us have bipolar or other I don't want to call them disabilities because I don't really think they are. I think that there's a spectrum of this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that we can really all recognize these problems. And even though we haven't experienced them directly, provide better allyship. And I think that's one of the great things that the show manages to do. I agree. I think they did a really good job of presenting different perspectives, you know, trying to present them in a way where people might not have seen before, Yeah. especially the just bringing them into the conversation. So on a lighter topic, we've talked about the music, talked about our favorite episodes. Which season did you guys prefer? Did you prefer season one or two? Matt? Season two really took it to another level. I think, you know, they definitely made it their aim to be more introspective, to bring in the secondary characters, like we mentioned. But it's really impressive. The second season, particularly after the first season, is a solid hit, at least critically. I think the episode where he goes to Rick Rubin's house, that is one of those episodes where you're like, what is happening here? It's bonkers. It's different from any other episode in the whole series. And I love that Ben Sinclair is in that episode, which is another great cameo. You guys watch High Maintenance on HBO Max? I mean, if you're a weed smoker, then... Not yet. What? 
That is such a good show. Mm. Any other favorites? I love Dave's clothes. I couldn't stop smiling with every outfit that he brought out. And I was just wondering, where do you buy these things? I thought whoever's doing his wardrobe had a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> I really, if somebody can let me know where I can get some of those outfits, <laughs> I'd love to give it a go. Do you like rock it like Dave, Matt? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I can grow my hair out like him, yeah. I think. Just Oh my God. So maybe I can. Who knows? Yeah, you might. By the way, Dave is not, I don't know what it is, but when he goes totally bald in that one Rick Rubin episode, man, he looks like a weird dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like so creepy looking. You're a little caught off guard in that episode. You're like, what is happening here? Also, some of my favorites are just like the random celebrity cameos, which you don't expect, like Jay Beebs, like Justin Bieber shows up. And then Kourtney Kardashian. It's like mm-hmm. so random. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have any hangups? With Dave, like something sort of didn't feel right or wasn't quite there. From my point of view, it seems to get a lot of it right. But in the second season, I think his professional trajectory doesn't really hold up to a lot of scrutiny. You know, he's a struggling singer, you know, yet he's getting to open the, you know, the VMAs or at least have a big, a huge set piece in the VMAs. So that bit didn't quite hold water for me but by by that point everything you're so invested anyway that it's fine and they do such an amazing job with the season two finale which was directed by the uh, amar harrell i think it's her name the director of honey boy the shia labeouf movie who's a very talented director and, and it shows that's yeah another superb episode but i have one other comparison for you guys comparing to another show that we've watched what does this show has in uh in common with uh, white lotus Hmm. Can you think? Who pooped it better, Murray Bartlett or or Dave Bird? Who pooped it better? (laughs) That's funny. Apparently, you know, this came out before White Lotus, and it's credited as the first pooping scene shown on television. And the White (laughs) Lotus followed soon after. Spoiler alert to White Lotus. Uh, This can come under the spoiler alert for Dave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Murray Bartlett's character poops in a suitcase in the last episode. They're both done with CGI, by the way. I was personally more impressed by the White Lotus pooping. What's impressive is that there's like the shock value of it because clearly, like you see it coming out of his butt. Well, not out of his butt, but, you know, they clearly, like, stuff it in his butt cheeks. And then, like, the way that it fell out, you're like, what the hell? Am I actually seeing this in a show? It was just one of those moments where you can't believe they did it. Hey, there, there is a behind the scenes of the Dave pooping, and they strapped the whole device on his back to pump. You're kidding. Oh, disgusting. Diarrhea. And in the end, it, it, in the end, they couldn't get it quite right, so they did it with CGI, and there was a lot of discussion on on consistency <laughs> oh. and thickness and color and uh, anyway no way. Oh, i think they got it right in the end just a little wild card there for you guys yeah but i feel like dave had definitely had the better pooping scene for sure it's <laughs> 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 a more fun so all right we are at the end of our dave discussion so stream it or leave it jeff stream it matt stream it or leave it there is no matt here please call me by my rap name <laughs> <laughs> What was it? Sketchy? That works too. Static? Skeezy? Sketchy? Static master in the house. Static master. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. 
Yeah, me too. I will also say stream it. Resoundingly, yes. And surprisingly so, because I had no idea what to expect. And I'm glad I stuck with it. So yeah, stream it. Great. So what else are you guys watching? Because there's a lot of new stuff. It's like we're, a new season is upon us. So much good <laughs> new stuff out there. Matt, what have you been watching? Well, having said all that, I, I've basically been finishing a little series, which I've already told you guys about. So I've been diving into some movies. I watched The Many Saints of Newark, the, the Sopranos, which I guess if you're interested in that, you probably haven't watched it already. And if you aren't, it's probably okay if you don't watch it. I thought it was a very efficient, very entertaining, uh, but not particularly enlightening kind of uh, experience. It didn't seem to add much to the whole Sopranos experience to me. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It could have been much longer. They kept it nice and short and sharp, as you guys know I like. So that was uh, that was pretty good. And the other one that I watched was the Sparks Brothers documentary by Edgar Wright about the band Sparks who I've been aware of for a while, but did not really know much about. There was a lot of really cool material in there, but it's rather long. I wouldn't say it's essential viewing, but if you're a music fan, that's a band that has influenced a lot of bands that I'm sure a lot of people like myself weren't even aware of. So that was long, but, uh, but entertaining. Jeff, what else have you been watching? Well, the other day we watched Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Yay! Oh. Jake Gyllenhaal would be so proud. <laughs> Excellent. Did you Sorry, really Jake. watch Zodiac? <laughs> Sup, Jake? Yes. Give us a call. Yeah. We'll have you on. Dude, we movie. should do a Jake Gyllenhaalathon, and then just we like, should... <laughs> no, we we gotta do it, and then I, yes, no, no, I, I wait, I got it, a Jake Gyllenhaalathon. <laughs> Mike, Mike drop. Oh, I love it. Let's do it. We yeah. should do it. Jake, J- wait, Jake Gyllenhaal of Fame. Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then we can rate top top ten. Or, wait, no, that's too many. Top three Jake Gyllenhaal films. Too many. And then yeah, yeah, that's. A, I like that idea. Yeah, so watch out, guys. Coming soon on a streaming or leave it near you. Is that all you've been watching, Jeff? Uh, yeah, cool. pretty much. Excellent. Survivor reruns. Oh, nice. It's a long movie, Zodiac, so it's understandable. It's super long. It was a good movie. It's super good. Yeah, it was really good. That's also got Mark Ruffalo in it, right? Mm-hmm. I like Mark and Ruffalo. And Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yes. wow. Mm, wow. What a star-studded cast. Cool. Well, and actually, you know, there's so many people in that movie. I was surprised at how many cameos there were like uh, is that what you would call it because these supporting actors were well not if they're supporting actors and they're supporting actors cameo is like a matt damon chloe savagny's in it (laughs) no chloe anthony edwards is in it oh my god jeff chloe i'm gonna do it again savigny chloe savigny 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 Oh, good Lord. Okay. Let me just say, if you enjoyed Zodiac, check out The Insider. Oh, okay. One of my favorite movies of all time, similarly based on a real story with great actors, great director, slow burner, super tense, Mm -hmm. really fucking good. By the way, it's talking about slow burn and intense films. A Yaku Gyllenhaaler movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nightcrawler? Have you guys seen that? Oh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant movie. film with like 
Riz Ahmed, a young mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed, and and of course our favorite Jake Gyllenhaal. So anyway, super good flick. Well, I actually have an inside track on that because Ooh. he does the, in my former incarnation working for for Splash News. We had some photographers who, in their spare time, did the job that he did. Essentially, did monitor the radio, and they created a business yeah. out of following and shooting these accidents. Obviously, not in the way that he does in that movie, but they were actually hired as consultants, and Jake. Gillen Haller sat in with them. <laughs> he sat in with them for a couple of days to. He followed them for a couple of days to learn how to do the job. Sweet. So they were consultants in that movie. Wow. They have an actual cameo in that <gasps> film. You can see one of them so very cool. briefly. So he gets so absorbed in his roles. That's how he delivers such wonderful, stellar performances. That's a great one. Yeah. So for me, I watched What Happened to Brittany Murphy. Oh, man. That's such a... Yeah, we watched that too. Oh, look at that, Jeff. You didn't even like... You didn't even mention it. I know. Fascinating. Well, I wanted you to bring it up. Oh, thanks. Wait, but I didn't tell you that I saw it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just... Yeah, you're... You, Jeff Jeff is a little witchy like that. Be careful. He'll like... He'll like do some <laughs> remote Reiki if you're not careful. He'll like fix your brain. <laughs> I'm like super psychic, but I don't know it. <laughs> what happened Brittany murphy is obviously about the actress she died at 32 of mysterious conditions and you you know you watch this documentary and you just you feel for her mother who's had to go through that and discovered Brittany dead on the floor and she just like had a really strange career trajectory and she had the potential to be so big. I mean, she was one of the biggest actresses of the 90s. Everybody loved her after Clueless and then she did these like big films like 8 Mile and then from there, the documentary does a really, really great job of pinning uh, her untimely death on her partner and she married this man named Simon Monjak who's this supposedly like some screenwriter, although nobody can really recall his body of work. I guess the dude was a very manipulative, basically a con artist. They speak to some of his former partners in the show and they're just like, he was a bad dude. Like totally just left me hanging, lied about everything. Just a strange dude. And then they, they interview his mother and his brother. And I don't know, you're trying to figure out, are they complicit? What do they know? But I think the guy just had major issues. And of course, he passed away not long after Brittany Murphy of the same causes, pneumonia. Yeah, like three months later. So weird. I think by the time she passed, she was basically starving. She was emaciated because she just couldn't deal with it anymore. So I think she had basically starved herself to death and he allowed it all to happen. Did you feel there was enough revelations in that Uh, that, that documentary? Did you feel that that it was... I don't feel like with her that no anybody really ever knew what was going on with her life. You are exposed to what he did to her. She didn't have her own email. She didn't have her own phone. He monitored like everything about her life. It's very sad that she sort of became under his spell. Unfortunately, there are very, very manipulative and controlling men like that. And once women sort of fall under their grip, it's like, they're powerless to try to get out. It's just all unfortunate and very, very sad. All right. Well, thank you to all of our listeners for our deep dive into Dave. We appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. And we will see you on another episode of Stream It or Leave It. Bye, everybody. 
That's our show. Are you not entertained? What did you think? Pretty, pretty good. Don't forget to subscribe and find, like, and follow us on social and on YouTube. We don't have faces for radio. Promise. You can't handle the truth. You can also find our show notes on Substack at Stream It or Leave It. See you next time, and thanks for tuning in.